Thank you, Margaret, very much indeed. Ephesians chapter 1, the, the big picture of God always being a missionary God, always reaching out. It's who God is at His core. We're uh, the second week into a series called Inside Out. Uh, this morning, week two, lessons from a can opener. Hashtag inside out uh, if you're tweeting and then those tweets can connect up and we can see what's going on. Okay, so a question uh, that I want you to turn to your uh, uh, neighbor and, uh, and uh, just discuss for a moment is this question. Is a can opener still a can opener if it can no longer open cans? Go. Okay, stand up if you think, yes, a can opener is always a can opener because that's what it was made to be, even if it cannot open any cans. Stand up for yes. Fantastic. Please be seated, everybody. Stand up if it was a no. How can it possibly be a can opener if it can't open any cans? Whoa, well, the yeses have it. Please sit down, everybody. Now, stand up. If you would keep a can opener, maybe wash it, polish it, keep it clean, present it nicely, occupy space in your drawer. If you keep the can opener, that can no longer open cans. Stand up if you deliberately keep it, even though it's past its use. Way, some real purists among us. Now, stay standing if the reason you would keep it is that you never get round to chucking it out. Very honest. Please sit down, everybody. The majority of us, even though we might say that is still a beautiful can opener, even though it cannot open any cans any longer, the majority of us would treat that can opener ultimately, in the end, as being useless or of no fit purpose. Maybe Jesus would agree with you. He talks about being the salt of the earth. And he says that if the salt is no longer salty, then it's thrown out. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that there are some things that a judgment is applied on the basis of function. Can it carry out the function for which it was intended? Essentially, most of us will throw the can opener away, and in doing that, we are saying in the end that function for the can opener is more important than form because we would get rid of it, because it's no longer fulfilling its function. Is the church, the church, simply because we are in Christ and that's what we are made to be? Or is there some kind of functional test? The church is only really the church if it's able to fulfill some kind of function. And if that's true, what function would it be? The world in which the... um, Uh, the Bible was written, places, uh, I think in the main, more emphasis on function than we might naturally be comfortable with. The the, the 
Platonic tradition, the Greek tradition, is much more uh, 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 accepting of something that was made to be that which it is, even if it's no longer able to carry out that function. In other words, in Greek thought, a can opener is still a can opener, even if it cannot open any cans. But in Hebrew thought, a can opener may no longer be a can opener. It might look like a can opener. It might once have been a can opener, but if it can no longer open cans, is it still truly a can opener? A functionality test. And Jesus makes some functionality tests, not just about the church. He makes some functionality tests about our lives as Christians. Why do you call me Lord Jesus said, and do not do what I say. In other words, just because you say you are a Christian, and just because you say that I'm the Lord, if you do not live out of that, what's Jesus saying? As a function test, you are not living as the person that you are professing. Or perhaps more familiar to us are these words, I am the vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. A functionality test, a branch that is now useless, not fulfilling its function of fruit bearing, gets cut off, while the branch that is still bearing fruit equally gets a bit of a chop in order to make it more fruitful. Very strong functionality uh, uh, driven piece of scripture, piece of teaching from Jesus. If the core reason for the church to exist is missional, if that's our primary raison d'etre, to make disciples who in turn can make disciples, then is a church that's not achieving that still a church? Is a missionless church still a church? If the church loses its mission, what does it become? If you take mission out of the heart of the church, if you take mission out of the heart of the church, eventually the church will die, obviously. But before it dies, what is that church? Is it still a church? You see, it is true to say, I think, that if you take mission out of the church, you lose everything. And that seems a bit extreme, but go with the analogy just for a moment. When I was uh, thinking about this morning, uh, I was working at home, don't normally uh, uh, work at home on a Thursday, but other things were happening and it just suited to, to be in that space. And, and as I was looking out, not to my drive, but to another drive, there is a beautiful, clean, shining, spanking new Mercedes. Ooh. It looks the business. It's got all the bells and whistles, everything that you might imagine that kind of car had. Now, imagine for a moment that that car had no engine. You could immediately say, back to the can opener, that's a useless car. It's got no engine. Or you could say, hang on, I know it hasn't got an engine, but the audio system is brilliant. And the seats, they are amazingly comfortable. You sink into the leather upholstery. 
And the boot is ginormous. You can store loads of things in there. Is it a car without an engine? And you'd be right, the car's not useless. It can do all kinds of clever things. The sat-nav is fantastic. So focusing on all those other things, we might for a moment forget that without the engine, actually those other things, in the end, come to nothing. It's no longer a car. The church can look like the spanking new car. The church can have all the bells and whistles. The church can do so many things. But if it can't make disciples who make disciples, question, is it still a church? Can you remember last week? No, probably not. I'll answer that for you. It's easier that way. Remember how I talked last week about visiting um, large but predominantly empty churches that were the kind of uh, uh, end product of the Welsh Revival? And uh, uh, preaching in many churches, and I described the, what would so often happen, and, and how that creates in me, and how it creates in us a longing for us to see our buildings that we have uh, enjoyed and appreciated full, and how that's a, a good longing. Remember how we saw how the, the enemy, who, who takes some truth and twists it, can take this truth of longing to see our buildings full, and cause us to focus on filling seats when Jesus always focused on who he would send. Remember? Anyone here last week? So, so, so something good gets slightly twisted. Now there's something else that, that was really good, but led to a twist. And that twist has paralyzed us, I think, for almost a hundred years. And the devil's like that. The devil doesn't come without and out lies. It would be easy. We would see him coming. He comes with things that are more or less true or look like the truth and he gives them a little twist and it's enough to knock us off course. So what am I thinking about? Well, I'm thinking about the 19th century and all the fantastic things that happened and got launched in the 19th century. God was moving by his spirit in some beautiful ways. It was an exciting time to be alive. It was a flurry of missionary activity and missionary organizations grew up all over the place. There wasn't one part of the world where there wasn't a missionary board planning and trying to send missionaries to that unreached people group. And there was this huge belief that we could reach the world in our lifetime. It was a fantastically exciting time to be alive and it's dubbed the great century of mission. However, there's a twist. Here's the sting. As the life of mission flowed into missionary societies, the church got left behind. Without any real sense, over time, of direct involvement. It was missionaries that were the people suddenly who forged into the unknown. It was missionaries that took the gospel to those who needed it. And mission became something that happened over there that the church at best prayed about and gave money towards. Mission was no longer something that was happening around the corner. 
or in your street or where we work or in our neighborhood. And so there became this divide, a divorce, in fact, between church and mission. Mission had been outsourced by the church, and the church at best became a touchline supporter. So way back in 1926, Roland Allen, a missiologist, would, was writing of this, of this divorce and the tragic consequences of it for the church. We may compare, he writes, the relation of the societies, the missionary societies to the church, with the institution of divorce in relation to marriage. Just as divorce was permitted, he says, for the hardness of people's hearts because they were unable to observe the divine institution of marriage in its original perfection, so the organization of missionary societies was permitted, he writes, for the hardness of our hearts because we'd lost the power to appreciate and to use the divine organization of the church in its simplicity for the purpose for which it was created. Is there some background noise going on? Is there something going through the speakers or am I just hearing things? Good. Fantastic. That's brilliant. Okay, that's absolutely brilliant. That's fine. Thank you. That's brilliant. Thought we were picking up Radio 1 or something much more exciting. Uh, And I knew you'd be straining your ears to hear what was going on uh, underneath. Okay, good. So uh, that's what happened way back, 1926. After the Second World War... Things got worse. Now, hear me really carefully because I will very easily be misquoted. So I'm taking a risk amongst friends to say something that has the ease to be misinterpreted and misunderstood. After the Second World War, a number of parachurch organizations were formed that were and are brilliant. I am a supporter of them. I have benefited much from them. Youth for Christ, Navigators, Campus Crusade for Christ, and now a trillion others. This time, the specialists became those who do mission, often right under the church's nose. And once again, the church had outsourced, unwittingly maybe, outsourced mission to specialists, and what the church was left with was pastoral issues and Sunday worship. Nothing wrong with either of those. But there had been a divorce between the church and its mission. So consequently, now people will talk about a missional church. As if, in that phrase, to acknowledge that you can have a church without a mission. A great divide. And it's paralyzed the local church for decades. And we're being challenged to address the balance. Now, what I'm not saying, what I'm not saying is that the church hasn't got lots of other very important and essential things to be about. We talk about up, in, and out, the three core necessary ingredients of any and every church. Up, worship and prayer, in, discipleship, out, mission, all in the context of oikos or extended family, it's what we call fellowship. So those are the main ingredients that we've understood church should be about. And we recognize that you can't have one without all 
the others. And so when I'm talking about us having to get mission back into the heart or the center of a church's life, it's not that the other things aren't important. You can't have mission without the other things. It's not an or, it's always an and. But what if, what if one of these things was a catalyst that helped the others ignite. Is there a catalyst, something that we learnt in chemistry, that if a reaction has a catalyst, it's going to be a good reaction? So some total of my A-level chemistry knowledge. Catalyst, that sounds fun. You need one of those. It blows things up. Is there a catalyst, one of these things, that enables all the others to ignite. The church has been on a big, long experiment of thinking that worship, the up, if we get that right, if we organize our lives around Sunday worship especially, then it will ignite all of the others. So we've put all, most, of our resources into Sunday. We pay the people who lead us to put most of their effort and energy into the Sunday moment. Staff are geared towards the Sunday experience. With the belief that if we get Sundays right, then all those other things will follow. The challenge for us is that that's less and less true. Fortunately, for the last hundred years, we've been predominantly in a Christian country, which means that if we start with worship, it does help quite a number of people to connect with the others. That's less and less the case, and we find ourselves in a climate that's not too dissimilar to the New Testament. We are no longer that Christian country. And so we've thought if we get Sunday right, then we'll get community But we know that people come to church and feel isolated and alone. We know that people come to this church for a... Someone said to me very recently, I've been in this church for 18 months and no one's invited me for a meal. No, that's bad, that is, isn't it? That no one invited them for a meal. Who's that? Are you saying that's a good thing or a bad thing? Tony, they should, you see? Yeah, absolutely. Rock on. So... So, so, so we can get Sunday right, but it doesn't necessarily by itself create deep community. We've also recognized that if we get Sunday right, it doesn't help people really grow deeply in their Christian life. If you've been in this church for 10 years and you've come only on a Sunday, you will have learned a few things about the Bible, I hope. But your spiritual growth, this is my observation, and it's true for me too, but our spiritual growths are stunted if this is the only environment that we try and connect faith. Uh, And so with all of these things, we've tried to put Sundays and gone, if we invest in Sundays as the catalyst, as the guiding principle, as the organizing, as as the um, originating idea, in the hope that we will get all the others, well, that experiment, if I can call it that, is increasingly failing, especially when it comes to mission. So is one of the others the catalyst. Well, what did Jesus say? What was Jesus' organizing principle? 
What did Jesus put out there as the initiating idea and the driving concept? Well, we read in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 1, for example, if you've got a Bible in front of you, John was put in prison. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. That's a clue. Verse 15, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. That's a clue. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. That's a clue. Verse 17, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus started with mission. He could have started by creating a worship time. He could have decided by... but that that was the way to initiate the movement that he was the head of. He could have started by calling a prayer meeting. Now, this is not to say that prayer doesn't ignite things. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But when he kicked things off, everything about the way he kicked it off was mission-centric. Come follow me because I'm going to make you fishers of men. That's the goal here. That's what I'm turning you into. That's what all this is about. And the more I study, and the more I reflect on this, and the more I try and think about the way Jesus started this movement that we are delighted and thrilled to be a part of, the more I can see that mission is the catalyst that ignites all the others. If we go out on mission, we will pray and worship more deeply and more earnestly than we've ever done. If we go out on mission, our discipleship journey will go to a depth. It will never go to another way. If we go out on mission, then our sense of community and togetherness will be way deeper than a Bible study or fellowship times could ever create in themselves. But deep in our psyche is that if we get Sundays right, all the other things will happen that it's really hard for us to move from that place. I think Jesus is asking us to turn inside out. But deep in our psyche, these things. And so it's hard to think differently about them. And even harder to act differently. But think biblically for a moment, whether what I'm saying holds any, any water. That mission should be a driving force. You see, Jesus could have said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Stay and worship me because I'm worthy of your worship and I'm coming back. Fantastic. What a great place. We'd love that, wouldn't we? Honest to be with Jesus in that worship moment. He could have said, all authority in heaven on earth is mine. So feast and enjoy each other and build the closest sets of relationships you can. Be the best community that you can, because in the end we're all going to be together anyway, so you might as well get on with it. But he didn't. He said, all authority, therefore go. He made going, he made mission the driving force, the catalyst that would ignite all the others. Is Jesus saying worship's not important? Of course not. Is Jesus saying discipleship is not important? No, he devoted uh, half of his three years to that. But he's saying there is one focus, one drivenness, one agenda that brings all the others with it. And if you start with one of the others, you will not get all the rest. Mission is unique. And I think we know that. We know it historically, 
I've got time to do this this morning. Think about the sweep of history and, and the way the Spirit has moved and new churches have sprung up, new denominations have sprung up. Mission is always at the heart of their beginnings. It's always mission that ignites and galvanizes the, the people of God in a new way. But think about it experientially just for a moment. Think of your own experience of going on a short-term mission or the experience of someone that you know who's done that. What happens to them when they put mission as a priority even for a week or a fortnight or three weeks? Does it displace or cause them to forget about worship? Not at all. Does it detract from their love of Jesus and reading his word and sharing more deeply with those that they're with? Not at all. Does it stop them building community with those they're on mission with? Not at all. You will know that focusing on mission, rather than displace or diminish those things, actually ignites those things and brings those things alive. Kerry and I spent a few weeks uh, working with uh, YWAM, Young Women After Men, when we were 16. It's youth with a mission, for those of you. Um, uh, uh, and we went and, and we um, hope the translation of that's gone all right. Uh, and uh, 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 what's, what's, that, what's that Russian translation? The, 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 the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Got translated as the vodka's good, but the meat is bad. Uh, so you, you can, uh, hope that's going all right as well. Blessings on your D. Um, what was on about London. London, 16 years of age, working in London on a short-term mission. Uh, I want to tell you about that mission. Uh, We were meeting people from all over the world. We were seeing people healed and come to faith. The worship for those 10 days, the worship was immense. There was one guy with an attitude guitar that he could barely play, but the worship was immense. Why? Full of expectation as we worshipped in the morning about what God would do that day full of celebration in the evening about all that God had done, that raised our expectation for the next day, full of expectation, even more this time. We saw God do more. In the evening, we celebrate, do you see? What the mission did was create a worship that was deeper and more profound than we ever could have done without the context of the mission. Mission was the catalyst that ignited a depth of worship that would otherwise have been beyond our experience. A few years ago, I had the privilege of going to uh, Mozambique with some business leaders. I was the pastor on the trip, and we spent five days uh, away from any roads and, uh, and civilization, right out in the villages, uh, living with people, sleeping in tents, sharing in their lives, uh, and so on. At the end of those four days, really, four and a half days, we, we gathered for the final morning in a nice hotel in, uh, in, in, in wherever we were, Maputo, I think, and, uh, uh, and we spent the morning just debriefing. I want to tell you, after four days on that kind of mission, with people that I'd never met in my life, there was a depth of community that would never, ever have been achieved anywhere else. We, we all understand that, don't we? Hello? You see, what's, what that did, because we were forced into this, uh, we're together on a mission, it created a community, a communitas, deeper than if we'd spent months just doing whatever, just being together. So there are these people now 
that I have a deeper connection with after five days than people perhaps I've met every week for 15 years. Because the context of mission ignites a depth of community that would not otherwise be possible. Now, you don't have to go to Mozambique. That's true on mission at the end of your street or round your corner or wherever we might find ourselves. And, and discipleship. You see, we're going round the, the um, uh, uh, we're going round the round the loop of, of these things. Um, uh, uh, mission ignites worship. Mission ignites discipleship. Fellowship. Sorry. Mission ignites discipleships. Off the screen, you'll see why in a moment. Uh, so, for example, when someone comes back here and they tell you about their mission trip, they will always tell you about how much it's changed them, won't they? Always, how much their faith has grown. Now, it was God's idea that we would live in mission trip mode. We're aliens and strangers in a foreign land. On mission together, all of these other things, apart from being neglected or swept aside, get given an ignition that otherwise they would not have had. In our experience, we'd say that mission is the driving principle. Last week, um, a, a Burlington family shared with me how on a Sunday morning they'd done church at home. Cheeky, as Joel would say. And our immediate reaction is, that's not very good. They should have been in church. Now, they might have had good reason for not being in church, but this is what they did. It wasn't our family. I'm not speaking in a funny circumstance circuitous way, if that be a word. So, Sunday morning, as a family, they prayed for their neighbours. Some of them are their people of peace. Some of them they're just getting to know. They prayed for their neighbours, and they felt God saying to them, bake some cakes, take them to each of their neighbours. Made some cakes, took them to their neighbours, chatted with their neighbours, left them the plate that they would then have to return. Second opportunity for a conversation. Brilliant day. Great conversations. But what else happened as I listened to that family tell me that story? Their faith grew like you wouldn't have believed as a family. Their connection as a family grew because they were in this mission thing together. Their excitement about what God could do in their lives grew because they'd seen him open doors, they'd seen their neighbours be really responsive and open to conversation and relationship and so on. They were excited together in new ways. We'd settle for one of those things here in church one Sunday morning, but they got the whole lot because in that hour or so they put mission as the centre, the driving force of what they were uh, seeking to achieve. I think Jesus wants to turn us inside out, or at least turn us on our side a little bit more. See, what would it look like? What would it look like for us to put mission first as the driving principle? Uh, And I think, to be honest, if we want our worship to be fired up and to go to a depth that we haven't yet known, And if we want to walk deeper with Jesus than we've ever imagined, and we want a sense of family and community like we can only dream of, then it's mission that will ignite that among us. If you want those things to be true of your small group, then it might well be that the sooner your small group gets a mission, 
the faster those things that you long for for your group will come. What small group doesn't long for deeper discipleship and deeper community? We all do. And my only regret is I didn't understand this 25 years ago. That I've peddled, as we all have in our Western context, that something other than mission will be a catalyst that will ignite the things that we're longing for. And it doesn't, it's not, not about a small group, it's your team, could be your accountability group, could be your house of prayer, could be your missional community. Whatever it is that gathers us, if mission is the driving principle that unites all of the others, then maybe, funny though it is, maybe Jesus was right that we put the going first, we put the mission first. It's not in the main that that's been tried and failed, but in the main in our Western experience, that's not much been tried. And maybe Jesus is calling us inside out. I'm going to ask Connor to come and share with us just for a few moments, because I'm I'm well aware, well I'll let him share and then maybe I'll make a couple of comments. Connor, come and tell us your experience of... um, Hello. Um, you can all see I'm going for the sympathy vote this morning. So, right, so when we started our um, Feet for the Street missional community, God had given me the vision for standing outside, serving tea and coffee to people and engaging in conversation. So this is what we did. This is our out. But as it grew and more people were needed, and after praying about it and asking God for it, he gave the people he had in the church a nudge, and they came and joined us. But as we grew and did this as a group, we needed better relationships with each other and with God as a community. To help our in, our relationships with each other, we meet once a fortnight and share food together. We talk about the practical aspects of Feet for the Street. This all helps our out. But we also get to know each other as we strive to do life together, talk openly to each other about the things that we're struggling with or are getting us down and supporting each other as as a family community. We ring each other during the week, we meet up and pop in to see each other whenever we can. This is our oikos. We also meet once a month with the wider Feet for the Street community after the church service for lunch. And every other lunch, we invite our guests to stay stay and share lunch with us. To develop our up as a community, we pray and worship together at our fortnightly and monthly get-togethers and pray together before we go out on a Sunday morning. Uh, Last time I spoke to you, we mentioned that trying to start this on a Sunday morning, the Oikos, and uh, we have developed our Sunday morning Oikos with bacon rolls, which many of you have smelt and uh, commented on, sorry. Um, Bacon rolls and coffee, and just spending a bit of time together so we can, uh, that's developing our in as a group just before we go and do our out. Also, whilst we're doing that, that in, we're praying to God and we're connecting with God as a community. So we're also doing our up just before we go and do our out as well. And this Sunday morning, Oikos also provides a place that as we develop our relationships with our guests, they can come and eat with us and pray with us and we can disciple them on their journey. So for our community to grow outside, we need better, deeper relationships with each other and with God. We need to trust God. This is his thing and not ours, and we can't try to do it off our own strengths or how we want it. I really feel close to those in our oikos and really proud and privileged to call them my brothers and sisters. This has come together really naturally, and we're really starting to feel like a a proper family on mission together. 
Um, and we just continue to strive to build those relationships together and as a group with God. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks, Connor. So that's something of their journey. And, and the observation is this. As a, a, as a, a pastor, as, as a whatever, uh, what we long is for people to grow in their faith. I recognize that when Connor and others started moving outside, we were worried that they weren't in church enough. A number of us felt like that. Because deep in our psyche, this is the thing that ignites everything. That's how I've been taught. It's how you've been taught. It's how we've shared our life together. What I witnessed with those guys in a relatively short space of time is that their faith went from there to there. Their sense of community went from there to there. Their seeing God move in power went from there every Sunday, just before I go home. Usually everyone's gone home. It's about two o'clock, and Connor or, or a few of them will come wandering in, and there'll always be a miracle. There'll always be an answer to prayer. There'll always be something amazing that God's done. And their faith as a community has gone, whoa, just like that. And that's what we want for all of us. Hello? Uh, and, and yet it's happened inside out, the wrong way round, from our perspective. And so there's much, I feel, I need to learn about that. If that's what causes people's faith to grow, if that's what causes us to see answers to prayer, if that's what causes people to get more excited about God than ever... Connor has not lost his excitement about God. In fact, it's gone through the roof and those around him in a way that wouldn't have happened, and this is really painful for me, if he'd listened to a load more of my cracking sermons. <laughs> I mean, oh, that hurts. Because of all the energy and emotion I put into sharing with you on a Sunday, I'd love it to do everything. But it doesn't. By itself, it achieves far little than we've believed is possible. And we have to acknowledge that as we go back to the Bible. It's so hard, isn't it, to go back to the Bible without our preconceived ideas. I read church into every part of the New Testament because that's the world I grew up in. But if there wasn't all of this and you read it again as if starting from scratch, in today's culture, we probably wouldn't have created this. Now, there were good reasons why we did and it served us fantastically well. But we're in a different day. And because we're no longer in a Christian culture, because this makes very little connection with the people outside, we have to rethink it with Jesus. We have to be turned inside, out. And I don't for one minute say that's easy. And I don't for one minute think we've got all the answers. I don't for one minute think it's all sewn up. But these are penetrating questions that I don't think we can avoid asking of ourselves and of one another. Because I want 
that vibrant worship where we're lost in wonder, love, and praise, don't you? I want to know that in 12 months' time, my walk with Jesus, my faith, my seeing of miracles and lives transformed is increased. My discipleship has grown. I want to be more like Jesus in 12 months' time. I want to be part of a community that is closer than I believe was possible. And I want to see people come to Christ, head over heels in love with Him. And I want to see those people not just sitting on our seats. I want to see those people that come to Christ head over heels in love for Jesus, equipped almost instantly to bring others to Jesus too. And so a movement starts. Jesus said, make disciples and teach them everything. Teach them to make disciples. Go, make mission your catalyzing organizational principle, make disciples and teach those disciples to do exactly the same. And suddenly something has started that in God's purpose becomes unstoppable. And he says, when you do that, I'll be with you to the end of the age. So, in your group, in your organizing, in the people that you gather with, what would it mean to make mission the organizing principle? What would it mean to make mission the driving force that brings all the others alive? What would that mission be? And how might you begin with just one small or extra step in that journey? Let's pray.